Great to see you all, and it's great to be in here the past four weeks. I think it's been four weeks now. It's kind of been a blur, but uh, I've been back in our elementary uh, programs because we were able to launch kindergarten through fifth grade programs, and uh, it's been great. It's been wonderful, and we've actually been able to uh, extend that, not only just to have elementary, but to also have in limited number uh, pre-K and nursery programs as well. Um, so it's been wonderful that we've been able to start our programs again, teaching kids at, at their level about Jesus in person again. It's been, it's been wonderful. It's been really safe. Um, it's been, you know, contactless check-in, as Pastor Jerry mentioned, through Church Center and, and things like that have, have really created a positive experience. And in fact, um, I don't know what happened today. I guess all the kids found out that I wasn't going to be back there because we have like three times the amount of kids today. They all decided to show up. Oh, Pastor Allen's not going to be there. That's awesome. I'm going to go to church today. Um, but it's wonderful. I'm excited. Hey, if, if it takes me to be up here to have kids in there, then I'm excited because they're still hearing about Jesus today. It's going to be great for them back there. Um, I just want everybody to know, if you're here in person or you're watching us on live stream, uh, we love our families here at WFA. You guys are the heart of our church. We, we love the vibrancy that your kids bring. Um, we care about them. We want um, what is best for you and your family. So, so we're so happy. Whether you haven't been able to make it because you've been watching on live stream, that's okay. Each family's in a different, in a different uh, I guess, category right now in this season. But we just want to meet you where your family's at and just love on you guys. So just really appreciate you. I hope if you have a family and kids here at WFA, I hope you know that, that we love having you here. It's it's been great. So today, um, I wanted to talk about being thankful. And, uh, and I was trying to think, there's so many things I can be thankful for. As Pastor Jerry mentioned, even when life is difficult, there's always things we can be thankful for. God's always working. Um, my life has been a whirlwind the past couple years. Um, I've moved from the Seattle area to this side of the mountains. I've found a beautiful woman to marry. Um, we ended up getting a house and, and we're settled in and it's just been wonderful. There's so much to be thankful for this year. And I was trying to think about all of it and, and I summed it up in saying, I am thankful for God's work in the little things. God's doing really big things today. God's doing really big things here at WFA, whether it's a bunch of kids showing up for, for our kids' programs that have restarted, or, or more and more people coming back in person, or our wonderful new webpage where you can go to wfa.church slash livestream, and you can just watch the live stream there, and you can take notes, and, and uh, you can hear the gospel from WFA, from this church, in so many different ways now. God's doing really big things. I'm really excited. Even, even today is, you know, we didn't have a huge band up here. We just had Pastor Darth and, and his acoustic guitar. And man, God was moving. We don't have to have flashy lights. We don't have to have smoke. We don't have to have the biggest band in the world. Um, God is going to move. And God's doing really, really big things. But God also works in little ways. And I think that God, over time, those little details in our life that God is working, maybe behind the scenes that we don't always see, they're just as important, if not more important, than the big miracles that we see God do. Good things come in small packages. Uh, most of us have heard that saying before. I've, I've heard it growing up. Good things come in small packages. Um, I didn't really know what that meant until I was shopping for an engagement ring and uh, thought, uh, man, oh man, this is one expensive rock and it's really not all that big. Um, <laughs> but there's, there's lots of ways that you can apply that. Good things come in small packages, whether you have a new child, you know, something so small but so precious, it's, it's good. Um, 
Taryn and I have welcomed a, a new small thing into our home that is good, and that's our, our new puppy, Lincoln. We have a picture of Lincoln up there. Um, he's our black lab that we got. Um, such a small, you know, precious little guy. He's growing big, but man, we have, we've just really come to love Lincoln. Maybe you haven't heard the story. We had Lincoln for two days, and, uh, and all of a sudden, he, he started to not feel very good. And if, as I grew up, I was always a dog person. I had dogs growing up, and uh, I was always kind of taught that, you know, dogs are, they're just dogs, and you don't really want to take a dog to the vet because, you know, it's just going to cost money, and, you know, dog is what it is. But sure enough, we had Lincoln for two days, and he wasn't feeling good, and, and I just said, man, that's like my son. I got to take him to the vet. I got to make sure he's feeling good, you know? So I took him to the vet. The vet called and uh, said, hey, you know, I, I don't have very good news. Um, it's not very good. Lincoln has uh, stones that have developed in his bladder, and it's, it's really, really rare for a, for a puppy of two months to, to have this, and, um, and there's nothing that any vet in Wenatchee can do for him. Um, you're going to have to take him to, to Pullman to go to Washington State University and, and take him there. She said, I've sent one other. It was a cat that I sent there, and it was a surgery of $17,000 to... Uh, to save this pet's life. And she said, but I know, I know you love Lincoln. Money's no object to you, right? So you can go. And I said, whoa, 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 hold, hold the phone. 17 grand is a lot. But I, I called Pullman and, and they said, look, you know, she wants to prepare you for, you know, what surgery might need to happen. We're not sure yet. Just go ahead and bring him. So uh, Taryn and I loaded up. We, we took Lincoln to, to Pullman. Um, and sure enough, he, he wasn't a uh, he was doing good, and he wasn't going to need the, the very expensive surgery, but he still stayed there for four days. They've got him all figured out. He's on a special diet now, um, but man, what a small little thing uh, that uh, really has changed Sharon and I's life. Um, we, we love him, and, um, and he's been wonderful, but that's just my, my way of thinking about how good things come in small packages. Um, so God, like I said earlier, God is doing big things, and God does do big things. We see in the Bible there's all kinds of ways that God does really big things, things that are so big it's beyond, beyond our comprehension. They're miracles. We don't understand how to explain it other than the fact that God is good and God is um, all-powerful. But most of the time, I believe that God is working in little details that you and I may not even see, may not even recognize. They're behind the scenes. I think sometimes we can be looking for God to do big things. And when we don't pause and look at the little things God's doing, and we see, God, you're not doing anything, and then we feel that God's not here. Um, but it's actually because we're looking for God to do really, really big things, when a lot of times some of the most important things he's doing are behind the scenes, that if we just paused and, and kind of paid attention to little details, we'd see God is working. God is always working. I know that God can do big things. The fact that I'm standing here today is proof that God can do big things. I don't have time to go through my whole testimony today, but um, I grew up in a Christian family, um, but a Christian family that didn't really go to church all that often. I would go sometimes with my grandparents or for Christmas or for Easter, and uh, I always grew up knowing that the Bible was true, that God was real and Jesus was my Savior, but I didn't really apply it in any way. And over time, um, as I grew older and started going into high school, I really started to veer off the path. And I, I, I was going on, on a path that wasn't good. I was partying with friends and, and not paying attention to what God wanted for my life. And um, that continued for, for a while. I was going down the wrong path until um, a friend of mine, he took his own life. And then another friend of mine, uh, shortly after, his mother took her own life. And as a young kid, I really didn't know how to, how to grapple with that. 
And uh, I didn't know how to, how to cope, and I decided just to continue to, you know, just party and, you know, hang out with friends and just ignore uh, any, any reality of life. And that continued, uh, and, and things got really rough until, until God decided to change my life in a really big way. And I, I actually ended up, since I wasn't able to cope with the loss in my life, I ended up developing a, uh, a severe um, panic attack disorder and, and depression disorder. And uh, man, I mean, I missed two weeks of school just because I would have panic attacks three or four times a day where all my muscles would contract and I would just, I would sit there and, and cry and, and, and cope and, and ask God what is going on. And something that was such a, such a moment of suffering for me, God used to turn me back to him. Sometimes when we are going down the wrong path, God needs to do a big thing and he, he picks us up and he completely changes our path. He says, you're going so far in the wrong direction, I've got to pick you up and, and turn you 180. Lincoln, when I let him out in the yard, he likes to run to this certain patch of rocks and he likes to dig up in the yard. And I don't know how to stop it necessarily other than just pick him up and completely 180, say, go that direction. I want you to go away from, from where you want to go. And, uh, and that's a big change. And God can do those big changes. God ended up, I remember um, I was struggling with this anxiety and this depression, and I didn't know what to do. And my grandma asked me, would you like to go to church this Sunday? And I said, yeah, I, don't, I really don't know what else there is for me to, to do to try and get through all these struggles. I walked into church, and, and I felt God say, welcome home. I felt God say, this is exactly the path that I want you to go on. I'm going to use your struggles, and I'm, I'm going to put you uh, to work on the right path. And uh, I quickly started going to church, started developing a relationship with God that was, that was more in-depth. It wasn't just knowing that God was real, but it was building a real relationship with Jesus. And um, I remember one time, I loved going to church so much that I prayed to God. I said, um, you know, God, I love being at church so much. When I'm at church, I know that I'm on the right path. My anxiety is gone. My depression is gone. Um, and it's not really until I leave church that I start to, you know, get tied up in, in those things again. So, so God, I pray one day that I can just walk into church in the morning and not leave until night. And I didn't even know at that point that there was such a thing as being a full-time pastor. I didn't even know that I was actually asking God to call me into full-time ministry. And sure enough, he did. And it's, it's just been a wonderful experience. But, but God did something big in my life. But I think God didn't just move my path and then leave me alone and let me figure it all out on my own. Since then, he's been constantly in little ways um, nudging me and, and, and putting me, you know, keeping me on the path straight ahead. And he does that with all of us. So God does do big things, but he doesn't just change your life in a big way and then leave you alone to figure it all out. God's constantly working on us, constantly nudging us in the right direction to stay on course. Growing up in a, uh, in a, in a town, Gig Harbor, Washington, which uh, is South Puget Sound, and growing up, you know, I had the amazing blessing to grow up on the water, and uh, my dad, who uh, loved to go out on the boat, he'd take me, I, I remember, he, he taught me how to drive a boat since I was 12 years old. Driving a boat is different than driving a car. Um, when you drive a car, you are on the road, you have lanes that you got to, you know, stay in the lanes, but as long as you're in the lanes, you're, you're pretty much good to go, unless you live in Wenatchee and you come across a roundabout. Then you have problems, all right? I've, I, the, our, our new house, I now have a, a, a commute where I pass three roundabouts here in Wenatchee, and at least once or twice a day, I see a close accident happen on those roundabouts. I'm here to tell you that I care about your spiritual well-being, but I also care about your physical well-being. Don't treat a roundabout like a normal four-way stop. It's a little bit different 
If you don't know, it's, it's fine. You can go onto uh, the, the Washington DOL website, look how to use a roundabout. It's really scary. I've been really terrified several times that people don't know how to use those things. But other than the roundabout, once you're on the, on the road and you're on a lane, you're pretty much good to go. But with a boat, it's a little bit different. There's no lanes, you're driving on water. Um, pretty much as long as you're not driving it on the shore, you're pretty good to go. You wanna watch for other boats and things like that. Um, I remember coming you know, across Point Fosdick was the, the name of this point that was by our house. And as soon as you turn Point Fosdick, you'd have the, the Tacoma Narrows Bridge that you'd go under. And um, if my dad and I were going fishing, we'd go under the bridge and we would go about, it was about a 20 to 30 minute drive to where we were gonna go. But once you crossed the point and you saw the bridges, you could pretty much see where you were fishing. Even though it was a really long ways away, you, you had a straight sight. And I remember my dad, when he was teaching me how to drive the boat, he said, hey, just go straight to the point that you're trying to go. And you have to be careful because any little turn that you make over time, you'll veer way off course. And so you always have to be constantly making sure that the little turns that you're nudging yourself in the right direction because over time, you want to make sure that you're on course. And I think life is like that. God puts us on a path and he's always working to help make sure that even just the littlest you know, push can help us stay on course. One example that I have of God working in a way that I don't even know about Um, because God works in these little ways, you know, sometimes we don't even know about them. And so um, I, when I went to high school uh, and college, I had a friend named Alyssa, and we were, we were really close, and um, Alyssa wasn't from Seattle. I drove um, a Honda Accord that was older than I was, and uh, she had a really nice new car. And the thing with, with Alyssa is she didn't like driving in Seattle traffic. I don't know who does, but um, she got really worried about driving her car you know, in Seattle traffic. And so whenever we had a big group of friends going, she would give me the keys to her car and trust me that I would drive it in Seattle traffic for her. So one day, Alyssa decided to uh, take a medical missions trip to India, and she was going to be gone for a month. And I said, Alyssa, you know, you've got a really good friend here who, who could take care of your car while you're gone. <laughs> You know, you're going to be gone for a month. You don't want that nice car to just sit there for a month unused. You know, why don't you just leave me the keys and I'll, I'll take care of it. She said, oh, she took that hook, line, and sinker. She said, oh, you're such a great friend. Yeah, absolutely. Here's the keys. And you better believe as soon as, as, soon as I sent her on that plane to India, I was like, man, I got a brand new car, baby. I am rocking and rolling. This is such a nice car. I drove that car everywhere. Um, it, was, it was a lot better than my little tin can uh, that I was driving. But... Um, one time I was going to church and I drove Alyssa's car to the church and I backed into another car using her car. And I, and I quickly went from I have a new car to no, 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 this is not my car. This is not good. Um, and I, I got out. There wasn't any damage to the car that I hit or her car. I said, okay, thank you, God. You know, that, that's good. So she comes back from India and I, I told her, I said, look, I just want you to know I did back your car into another car, but there's no damage. And she looked and said, yeah, there's no damage. It's all good. And so a couple years go by, um, Taryn and I, we were just invited to another, a, a mutual friend of ours um, who just got married. And so we went to this wedding and Alyssa was there. She flew up from California where she lives and, and she was there at the wedding. And, and we were talking and, and catching up and she said, hey, you remember how you, you, you backed my car into someone else's car? I said, yeah, I remember that. She said, well, there was no damage at the time. And uh, I moved to, after she graduated, she moved back to California and 
And she said, over time, where you did hit, it started to kind of, the paint started to chip away. And uh, over time, in the sun and stuff, it became a really big sore spot on my bumper. And I said, oh, okay. Um, well, so is, is it still a problem? She said, well, I, I was thinking about calling you and having you pay for it. Um, and I said, yeah, you, you should have. And how much is it? She said, well, they quoted me $500 to replace, you know, to fix it. And I said, okay. Um, and I was fully expecting her at this wedding to want me to fork out $500, like right there to pay her. And I, I said, uh, you know, we can work out the money. It's all good. And she said, oh, no, 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 don't worry. It's covered. And I said, what do you mean it's covered? She said, well, after I got it quoted for $500, I was driving on the freeway and I was thinking I got to call Alan to have him pay for this. And boom. I said, what do you mean boom? Someone hit me and their insurance paid for the whole thing. And I thought, oh, well, that's great, you know. And, uh, and I mean, it's, it's a funny story, but I started to think, I was like, Man, if we hadn't connected at that wedding, I probably would have never known that any of that had happened, you know? And, and God was kind of working in a way, you know, because, I mean, I would have paid her the $500, but my pocketbook wouldn't have liked it, you know? It would have been a, it would have been a you know, thing to just come out of nowhere, but, but God was taking care of all of it, you know? And insurance covered the whole thing, and it was just a wonderful way in my mind of, God, you're always working, and, you know, if I would have never connected with Alyssa, I would have never known that God was working that out behind the scenes in my life. So God is always working, and he uses little things that we may not see to eventually uh, make a big difference. We can uh, dive into some scriptures today. If you have your Bible, or the the verses will be on the screen, we can go to John chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. And I just want us to go through some scripture today and just see examples of God doing big things with little. So this story, John chapter 6 verses 1 through 4, and I'm actually going to read a little bit more than that. It says, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, and a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the signs he had performed by healing the sick. Then Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover festival was near. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for Jesus already had in mind what he was going to do. Philip answered him, it would take more than a half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one of us to have a bite. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far will they go among so many? Jesus said, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place and they sat down. About 5,000 men were there. Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. When they, had an, uh, when they all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, Gather the pieces that are left over, let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled twelve baskets with the pieces of five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten them. So we see a big thing that Jesus does. He feeds 5,000 men even more if you were to include the women and children, with just five barley loaves and two small fish. Now, um, I remember when I took a trip to Israel, we had what was called the the Galilean lunch. And that was a a, loaf of of barley, or sometimes the modern version, they'd give you fries, you know, like fish and chips. But they would give a a size of a, a, a fish, a fried fish whole, and it wasn't all that big. I mean, we're not talking about, you know, huge Chinook salmon over here or anything like that, but you know, a little tiny fish. So this kid probably had two little fish and five barley loaves, and it was probably in his lunch sack, and at whatever time, you know, midday through the day, it probably was not that appealing to look at and want to eat. 
But God used something that we would see as, as leftovers, and, and he feeds over 5,000 people with it. God takes something that we would, have, uh, we would see no value in, and he makes something huge out of it. If we go to the book of Judges, chapter 7, we have another example of God doing a lot with a little. Judges, chapter 7, I'm going to read verses 1 through 6. It says, early in the morning, Gideon and all his men camped at the spring of Herod. We don't have enough time to go through the whole story of Gideon today, but Gideon, um, he is going to lead an army to defeat the Midianites. And it says, the camp of Midian was north of them in the valley near the hill of Morah. The Lord said to Gideon, you have too many men. I cannot deliver Midian into their hands, or Israel would boast against me, saying, my own strength has saved me. Now announce to the army, anyone who trembles with fear may turn back and leave Mount Gilead. So 22,000 men left, while 10,000 remained. But the Lord said to Gideon, there are still too many men. Take them down to the water, and I will fend them out for you there. If I say this one shall go with you, he shall go. But if I say this one shall not go with you, he shall not go. So Gideon took the men down to the water. The Lord told him there, separate those who lap water with their tongues as a dog laps from those who kneel down to drink. 300 of them drank from cupped hands, lapping like dogs. All the rest got down on their knees to drink. The Lord said to Gideon, with the 300 men that lapped, I will save you and give the Midianites into your hands. Let all the others go home. So, here is another example of Gideon supposed to, he's supposed to lead this army to defeat the Midianites. The Midianites had thousands of people, and so sure enough, you know, it was a good thing Gideon had thousands of soldiers to defeat those thousands of people, and God said, no, that's too many men. I want to do it with less. And he weaves it down to 300 men that Gideon had to defeat thousands and thousands of Midianites. We would have looked at that and said it's obviously an unfair advantage that the Midianites had. But God did something big with a little army. In fact, God did it so that people could, could look at the victory and say, God, we're going to bring all this glory to you because obviously we couldn't have done it on our own. Let's turn to, to Mark chapter 4. I know we're flipping around a lot, but stick with me. Mark chapter 4, I'm going to read verses 30 through 32, Jesus is, is talking to a group of people and, and they ask him um, about what the kingdom of God is like. And Jesus says this, what shall we say the kingdom of God is like? Or what parable shall we use to describe it? Is it like a mustard seed, which is the smallest of all seeds on earth? Yet when planted, it grows and becomes the largest of all garden plants with such big branches that the birds can perch in its shade. So we see God talking about, the, uh, Jesus talking about the kingdom of God, something that is such a big topic in my mind, it's hard to explain to someone exactly what the kingdom of God is. But Jesus says it's like a mustard seed, which is the smallest of all seeds on earth, which when planted, it, it becomes big, but, but to, to the normal person, it, it seems small, it seems insignificant, it's, it's modest. Jesus equates the kingdom of God to something small. 
We see there's tons more that we can go through in the Bible, but, but God uses small things, things that, are, that, that we would look at and, and say that doesn't have any value, and he puts value to it, and he accomplishes big changes with it. God does it all the time. God often chooses to do the biggest things with the smallest people. Maybe you feel insignificant, you feel small, you feel like, you know, I don't have any value to... To, to my peers, they don't see me as valuable. I want you to know that God doesn't see it that way. God wants to use you. Even if you feel insignificant, God is always going to be working. Even if it doesn't look like he's working in big ways, he is. He's always working in little details of your life because he sees value in you. God is always working behind the scenes. And if God didn't see value in you, he wouldn't always be working behind the scenes. The fact of the matter that he is always working in you and, and through you shows that he, he loves you and, and he has value to you. Our last um, scripture verse today is in Matthew chapter 10. I'm going to read verses 29 through 31. Jesus is talking to his disciples and he's explained to his disciples, look, if you're going to follow me, life's not going to be easy. If you're going to follow me, you're going to be ridiculed, you're going to be martyred, you're going to be persecuted. It's not going to be fun. And for, uh, for Jesus to say this to his followers, he wanted them to make sure that they knew, hey, there's going to be times you don't feel like you have any value. People are going to ridicule you, they're going to they're going to shame you, and you're not going to feel like you have any value. But Jesus says this, Matthew chapter 10, verse, starting in verse 29. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground outside of your father's care. And even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. So don't be afraid. You are, mirth, uh, you are worth more than many sparrows. Jesus says, look, you have value. When you feel insignificant, it doesn't change your value. Even if you don't feel like you're, you're valued, you are. It doesn't, it doesn't change the truth that God is always working. Even sparrows, which are worth you know, not very much at all, God's still working and, and taking care of them, so wouldn't he take care of you? You're so much more valuable than they are. God wants us to know that he is always working for us on our behalf. Always. Even if we're sitting and, and wondering, God, why aren't you doing really big things? God's saying, I am doing big things, but to you, they may seem like they're little things. And over time, it is a big thing that I'm doing, but if you pause and just, and just take a moment and look back and, and, and see the ways that I'm always working for you, even in ways that you wouldn't think are valuable, but they really are making a big difference. So today, I am, I am thankful that God is working in the little details, even when I don't see it or I don't deserve it. Some people that, that feel insignificant, they say it doesn't make sense that God would be working because I don't deserve it. There's nothing I've done to deserve that God would, would be working in the little details of my life. I'm here to tell you that's right. Not a single one of us have done anything to deserve what God blesses us with. But God is graceful. God is graceful and he blesses us anyways because he sees our value even when we don't see it. He sees the love that he has for us, even when we don't feel it. If you're going through something difficult today, it is not because God isn't there. 
If you're wondering, God, why aren't you doing big things in my life? It's not because God isn't there or he isn't working, because God is working. But if you're struggling today, God isn't there, he is there, but he's allowing you to go through the struggle. He's allowing the struggle to happen so that he can use it for good. That struggle that I went through in my life when I was in high school, I didn't know that it would lead me onto a path of of ministry and and pursuing God with everything that I have. And, And God has blessed me in so many ways, big and small. But I want you to know today that that God is there. He's here. He's with us. Even when we don't see it, even when we don't feel it, He's with us. He promises us that. And even if we don't deserve it, He continues to love us. As I I end the message today, I I want us to read a a scripture, or not a scripture, a a quote from a man named Paul David Tripp who who is writing a, uh, a devotional And I just thought it it was really good talking about the grace of God, and we can read it together here. It says, grace reminds you that you deserve nothing, but it does not stop there. It confronts you with the truth that God is gloriously loving, gracious, and kind, that he lavishes on us things that we could have never earned. Grace also reminds us that God is wise, and he never gets a wrong address. He gives each of us exactly what he knows we need. I think that's so good to to be reminded about the grace of God, that we don't deserve it, but he gives it to us anyways because he loves us. He goes above and beyond to show us that he loves us and cares for us. So this year, I'm just thankful that God is always with us. I'm thankful that God is always working. Even though it doesn't seem big enough for us to think it's important, he is always working the little details of our life, and he never lets us waver from the path. He continues to nudge us on the right direction. Pastor Jerry, would you mind coming up and concluding us in our service today? Thank you, Pastor Allen. What a, what a powerful message. Lord, Sometimes we look for you in the fire, look for you in the wind, we look for you in the big things. But as Elijah discovered, you were in the small, still voice, the little things. Thanks for the reminder today, God, that you are at work in our life. Sometimes we're not even aware of it. Father, you are working all things together for our good, making us more like you. We thank you for that. We thank you, Lord, that in the big things of powerful, miraculous transformations and in the little things, the times of unanswered prayer, that we have to wait, that we have to struggle, that we have to navigate through our fears and doubts, even in those little things, You're working for us. God, I thank you for this great reminder. Thank you for this opportunity. We've come together in person and online to worship you in spirit and in truth. In Jesus' name, amen. It's been great having you with us this morning. We have a visiting pastor, Pastor Trent Arneson from Life Impact Church up in Blaine. 
Thank you, Pastor, for being here. If you're joining us online, we're glad you're here. Make sure you make a record of uh, your, um, your attendance with us. Maybe uh, in the chat box or send a prayer request. Again, you can uh, put your offering in the bucket. Next Sunday, we're going to finish our thankful series. Pastor Jeff is going to be uh, concluding uh, our series on being thankful. And as many of you have heard, uh, next Sunday will also be Pastor Jeff's last Sunday here at WFA. About 18 months ago, uh, Jeff came into my office and said, you know, the Lord has released me from youth ministry and I, I really desire to be a lead pastor. So for the last 18 months, we've kind of navigated through that and uh, we're going to pray for Tiffany and Jeff and their family next Sunday as Jeff uh, preaches. And I hope that you'll take opportunity to reach out to the Grahams uh, in the next two or three weeks and let them know how much you have appreciated their ministry here on staff and just wish them God's best as they pursue a lead pastor position. Why don't we stand? I want to give you a pastoral benediction, a priestly benediction. It's the one I've used for decades for you as we enter this holidays, this Thanksgiving season. May the Lord bless you and may he keep you and may he make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen and amen. God bless you. Thank you for being here today. I want to ask you first assembly.